Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys part one of the murder of Carmine LaPello. So pour yourself some fire department coffee and let's dive in. So before we get into this episode, I want to let you guys know this was a case suggestion from someone named Joe LaPello, and this is actually the great nephew of Carmine LaPello that got in contact with us and requested we cover this story. And something cool is that Joe was actually able to solve this case many years later. So we are going to have two more parts to the story. Part two and part three are going to be our interview with Joe, where he goes in depth about the details surrounding this case, the process that he went through in order to solve it, and just some overall conclusions to everything. So today's episode is going to be more of an overview of everything. Part two and part three are really going to dive in deep and give you guys a full look at the story of Carmine LaPello. So let's get into it. So Carmine LaPello lived in Canada and was a taxi driver in the Humber Bay area, which was pretty close to Toronto. And on July 19th, 1917, Carmine was sitting at a taxi stand in his taxi with a man named Joseph Pill, who was a fellow taxi driver. This was around 1130 at night. And While they were sitting there just kind of talking, waiting for a ride, this was summer in Canada in 1917, so there weren't many fares at this point in time, so they were pretty much just kind of chilling, waiting for anybody to come up and ask for a ride. Well, while they're waiting, a man and a woman come up to the car, and they say that they would like a ride, and that they want to go to High Park. The man and the woman were kind of strange in the sense that, I mean, they stood out is a good way to word it. So the man immediately walked to the back of the car and didn't say anything. The woman is the only one that did the talking. The man wore a cap that was covering his face. It had been like pulled down and he had the collar of his jacket turned up. It was pretty obvious that he was trying to conceal his identity. The woman then had a large straw hat with the brim of the hat kind of down over her face a little bit also in an effort I think to conceal her identity and she was wearing a black dress so like I said she's the one that does all the talking and she tells Joseph and Carmine that she wants to go to High Park but not only does she have a location that she wants to go she has a specific taxi that she would like to ride in and she says she wants to go in the green car with the white stripe which is the car that Carmine and Joseph are sitting in so they're like okay Hey, she's like, I was out in that car two nights ago. I want to be in that car again. Which is a little weird. I, yeah, I think that that's strange. I've never quite requested a certain taxi and or Uber car based on the color. No, but you and I almost did in Tennessee with the woman who took us to the escape room and we got lost in the cemetery. We wanted her back. Oh, uh, okay. I was like, we didn't pick that based on the color of the car. No, I. we just almost requested to have the same person. Right, right. She was great. She was. Now, what I'm wondering is if in this situation, I mean, the woman could have been asking for the green car with the white stripe because they really liked the driver. 
and they just knew who that that was the one that drove them last time either way carmine was like well i'm not the one that took you the other day that must have been this other driver named edgar bridges as he had been working the other night and he's like the only other person it could have been was frank lombardi who was another taxi driver and the only other taxi driver with the car with a green car with a white stripe either way the woman was like no we want this car with this man that's in the car and they're like okay but carmine and joseph were both like really don't want to take you we talk about this in the interview with joe but it was definitely strange that they didn't want to take this couple because like i said it was a slow time during the summer taxi drivers wanted all of the rides that they could get in order to make money so it was definitely strange to be hesitant while they're sitting there debating whether or not they're going to take this couple another taxi driver named steven jeans comes up and he's like look i can take you guys and the man just shook his head and pointed very strictly at carmine's car and they were like okay he definitely wants his car he doesn't want anybody else he doesn't want any other drivers any other vehicles this is what he wants so carmine eventually agrees and they load up in the car and drive off shortly after 11 30 at night the mystery has been solved here at crime over coffee our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is fire department coffee and you can get some as well and save 15 percent with our exclusive coupon code crimepod15 owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. The next morning, around 5.15, 5.30 in the morning, there is a workman that is out on Salisbury Avenue, and he ends up seeing a body. And so he calls the police, and it turns out that this body was that of Carmine LaPello, and he was about 25 feet from his car. It looked as if his body had been stabbed 14 times, which seems like some slight overkill, for sure. Yep, certainly is a lot. The police start investigating. They're kind of looking around. They're like, does anybody have anything? Were there any witnesses? And there is a resident that lived pretty close by who comes forward and says that they heard two men arguing in Italian. And then shortly after, they heard a car speed off, which I think the fact that they were arguing in Italian can kind of limit it down to who that would be. Quick question. Did Carmine speak Italian? Yes, he did. So a little bit more about Carmine. He had recently started a divorce with his wife, now ex-wife, Marguerite Mulvani. This was pretty new. There was some indication that maybe he'd been slightly like verbally aggressive during their relationship. So at this point, she was in a relationship with another man. And so there was some speculation to see if maybe there was some sort of jealousy that was going on. One thing that I didn't mention previously, but we do talk about it in the interview, is when Carmine's body was found, his pants were pulled down and like pulled wide open, which was something that they did back then in a way to kind of humiliate people if it had something to do with like a romantic, if it was some sort of romantic crime. So if I think the person that killed him was trying to get at was they were trying to get them, the police and the community to look at Marguerite or her then boyfriend to see if maybe there was some sort of romantic dispute that had occurred and that had been what had caused Carmine's life to be ended. One thing that's worth noting 
is in February of 1917, so just a few months before, Carmine had received a letter to Marguerite's house from Montreal, Quebec. And this letter threatening Carmine's life, telling him that if he didn't stop talking to the police, his life would be ended. So this makes police start looking into more about Carmine to figure out who he is, why somebody would send him a threatening letter. They learn that Carmine had an alias. He was not just Carmine LaPello, but he was Tony Ross. They also learned that his vehicles were not registered in his name, but they were registered in somebody else's name, which is really, really strange for a taxi driver to need to have an alias. Yeah, it makes you think he might have been involved in some other stuff. Absolutely. And that's kind of the thought process that Joe LaPello had when he learned about this and he decided that he was going to start investigating it. He was like, something is not adding up here and I want to be the one to figure it out. Something that ends up being found out later on is that Joseph Pill also received the same letter from Montreal, Quebec, shortly after Carmine's death, where they were threatening his life if he continued to talk to the police. So it's pretty clear that somebody's pissed off and doesn't want the police to know something. One big thing that comes into play a lot during the interview and during the story is... A little thing, or a big thing, I guess, called tea rooms. So, those of you that live in Canada might already know about tea rooms. I was not aware of what they were when I first heard the term, but tea rooms were kind of like underground bars. So, basically like speakeasies? Yes. So, around this time, Canada was going through the Ontario Temperance Act, which was very similar to the Prohibition that America had. So for those of you that aren't aware, that just basically was a time period where the consumption of alcohol became illegal in that country. So in Canada, it was illegal to consume alcohol. It was not illegal, however, to make alcohol and ship it across to other countries. So it was really common for people to make alcohol in Canada and ship it to America. But People came up with ways around that where they would make alcohol, pretend to ship it to America, and actually send it to these tea rooms or speakeasies. And then everybody would be able to attend these underground bars. It became pretty clear that Carmine did have a hand in the liquor trade. He was involved in these tea rooms. He had helped with like sending the alcohol to America, but actually delivering it to these tea rooms. And from what Joe found out and kind of looked into, it sounds as if Carmine was involved in not only helping them out, but he also was informing the police of where tea rooms were or when these shipments were going to occur and kind of keeping the police in the loop. And obviously, the people in charge of these tea rooms and the people that were making this alcohol were not super pumped about this decision that Carmine was making. I mean, that was their business. That was their livelihood at this time. And so it was pissing them off that Carmine would be doing anything to basically harm that. And as we've seen in past cases or any movie ever that involves people involved in crime, they're not the kind of people you want to piss off. No, definitely not. When I read this book, and I think I maybe say it in the interview with Joe, I might have just said it to him, I talked to him personally. The whole book and like story and what happened to Carmine, what happened with this tea rooms and the prohibition and all this stuff genuinely sounds like an action movie and not something that I'd ever seen happen in real life. It's all just in my head. It's an action movie. It really, it really does sound like a movie. Like, I mean, there has to be movies just like this, but every bit of it doesn't sound real 
Oh, I'm sure that there's a movie similar to this somewhere. But in Joe's research, he does everything he can to research this case, which, like I said, we'll talk about that fully in depth, part two into part three, where we cover his interview. So one of the things that he does is he basically pulls up a giant map of the area and he finds this place that's called the ward. And it's all this housing that's just grouped together. And he ends up connecting one person to another, to another, to another, to another. And so in the interview, I'll be honest, he mentions a good 25 to 50 names that of people that live in the ward. And it can be a lot of names. But these are all people that he's finding are somehow connected to the trade and to whatever occurred and whatever happened to Carmine that night. I'm going to go into depth a little bit more about the people that are most relevant that he talked about, but it's very important to note that this was the works of many people, not just a few, but many, many people all worked together to keep this trade going, to silence people that threatened this trade. And Carmine did find all of this information out. And so you will we'll hear about it a little bit in the interview. But I'm going to go into some of the most important people that to this case specifically. One of these people is Private Arthur Colin Kilner, who he actually has a whole chapter about him. There's some weird things that kind of occurred. He was a Canadian soldier and he was coming home from Montreal to Toronto. And this was about nine days after the murder. And he's traveling by train. And on this train, a woman comes up to him and starts talking to him. And she comes up with the story that she needs him to pick up her suitcase for him because she is not able to get it for one reason or another. And he's like, why, why can't you get it yourself? And she basically tells him that about a week ago, her husband and her had hired a taxi cab and the taxi driver had tried to like make moves on her, but inappropriate with her. And it obviously pissed off her husband. And so he got into a fight with the man and she just like walked away and kind of left the situation alone. She had nothing to do with what had occurred. She just decided to leave. And so she needed him to go get her suitcase for her because she couldn't go back. And this was part of the story that really got me because was he just some random guy to her? Yeah, he was just somebody on the train that I felt like that she felt like she could manipulate. That's so like creepy. Yes. So she tells him that she'll be in Toronto at the Queen's Hotel and they could meet around midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and she would be able to get the suitcase from him. And she's like, but I'm only going to be in Toronto for a few days. So I need you to like be quick with this to get me my suitcase as fast as possible. And he's like, all right, fine. Well, they continue to have a conversation. Somebody comes around with the drink cart, offers them drinks. He accepts a drink and they drink tea together. But as they continued on their train ride, he ends up becoming extremely sick with stomach pain, vomiting. He ends up having to be taken off the train. And when he's taken to this doctor, the doctor's like, sir, you've been poisoned. So the inspector that's working the case for Carmine is called in and they're talking with Colin Kilner because Private Kilner said that this woman had just been involved in the possible murder of a taxi driver. And that immediately stood out to the police. They're like, okay, well, um, we probably should bring in this Inspector Boyd who's been working on solving this case because it sounds like it's related to Carmine's death. So he goes in and they have this discussion. And at this point, now it does kind of sound like it's possibly a lover's quarrel. And that could have been why his pants were left ripped open 
that would go along with that. So they're kind of looking into whether or not this is what actually happened or not. And while they're kind of like looking into it, he's investigating all this other stuff. In August of that year, so not even a full month after Private Kilner had been poisoned, Inspector Boyd receives another phone call on August 18th saying that Private Kilner was at the hospital again and had once again been poisoned. So he had been walking along Front Street, and while he was walking, somebody had attacked him and then covered his mouth with a cloth saturated in liquid. And he had no recollection of anything until he woke up in the hospital. He ends up surviving this second poisoning, but it's strange that he continuously is being attacked. It's obviously weird. And we talk more in depth about why that is, why we speculate it could be on the interview. Right. I mean... It would be quite the one in 10 billion chances to get randomly poisoned twice in a row damn near. Exactly. Yeah, it's, I think, extremely unfortunate. The two new people that I'm going to talk about are Rocco and Bessie Perry. So they are a couple. And to be honest, Joe goes into their details a lot in the interview. So I'm going to just really briefly glaze over them. Basically, Rocco and Bessie both fit the description of the man and the woman that were at the taxi stand that night. Bessie also fits the description of the woman who poisoned Private Kilner on the train. And it just doesn't look super great for either of them. Joe continues to look into it and looks like Bessie and Rocco were both known for being part of this illegal alcohol trade. And it's really looking like they had something to do with it. So that's really the basics and i know this was like a really brief overview and not what you guys are used to when we cover these cases because we do go a lot more in depth but as i've said a couple different times part two and part three are really going to cover everything that you're wanting to know i didn't want to cover it here and there because it is a long interview it is a little over two hours for the interview which is why we're splitting that up into two parts And we really want you guys to hear it coming from Joe as well, because he gives, he puts so much work into this and gives such great information. Absolutely. And I have not said it yet, but Joe did write a book about this process, him solving the case, what actually occurred with Carmine's murder, all of this stuff. And you guys can buy this book on Amazon. I personally read it. It's laid out very nicely. It's laid out in a way that you can really follow along with the method and the thought process that Joe went through when trying to solve this case. And it really kind of keeps you in suspense because he doesn't tell you who did it until the end when he finds out who did it, which is really when his research ended. So this book is called Murder Lost to Time, the true story of one of Canada's oldest unsolved murders. And it's by Joe LaPello. So you guys should definitely check out this book. Like I said, it's really great. This case was unsolved from 1917 until Joe LaPello decided to look into it and try to solve it starting in 2010. So almost 100 years after this murder, Joe was able to sit down, look at all of the evidence. And when I say look at all the evidence, there was minimal to none. He had to do so much research, so much looking into things in order to get any of the information that he has. He put so much time and effort into this. So we really just want you guys to listen to the interview, read his book, check it out, and hear from Joe's perspective exactly what happened to his Uncle Carmine in 1917. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.